Yes, sir. Back at it again. Another episode, man. And of course, it's been a really long time. Um, but this episode is uh, very much dear and special to me because I recently went back to the motherland. I just came back from Africa. So I had visited uh, Khartoum, Sudan, which is in Eastern Africa. Uh, it's where I was born, actually, before I came here to the States. Um, so it's been about 18 or 19 years since I uh, came back. So it's very, been a very long time. And uh, I definitely felt like a foreigner, but um, I was amazed by the love and admiration um, that um, the people provided to me and my family out there. Um, I stayed in an area called uh, Soba. Uh, they call it Soba Hilla, um, which uh, my mom um, birthed basically um, all of us. And uh, she's just uh, well known in that area. And once I came there, I was very much shocked that everyone knew who I was because I honestly didn't remember anyone. Um, yeah, but they just seemed to recognize me, you know, even after all these years. And now that I'm a grown man, I'm 21, I was just, it's crazy that people still recognize me. Um, so uh, going out there, man, it's just the, the people that are genuinely kind. Um, they just show respect and coming over there like I wanted to come over there just with the utmost respect and being very kind and cordial towards others, just like uh, how you would enter someone's home is the same way you should enter another person's country. You know, you you come there behaving the best you can, of course. And that's what I did. Uh, so it's a it's an Islamic country. Uh, Northern Sudan is and um, they're very traditional. So they follow the teachings of the Quran and uh, the women out there, you know, they cover themselves. Of course, they wear the hijab. Sometimes they might do the full cover. Um, so they pray five times a day. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see people praying on the street, which uh, it really, really baffled me because I've never I've never just seen someone, you know, just pray on the street out, out of the blue. But, um, you know, just witnessing that was a uh, it was crazy to me, but it was also very um, educational me educational to me. So just seeing that, I just learned so much and uh, seeing how much they admire and respect their uh, religion and, you know, practice it as, uh, you know, over here in the States, you know, a lot of people claim to be Christian, of course, but, you know, not too many people really practice, you know, the religion or read the Bible or, you know, um, pray morning and night as they should. You know, I know I've I haven't sometimes, you know, but I try to pray as often as I can. Um, so over there, um, you know, it's not it's not like uh, it's not like here in the States where if you don't know somebody, you don't really talk to them. But over there, everyone's just uh, they don't mind talking to each other. You know, a personal space is not a thing. So, you know, they, they do not give personal space. It's very much crowded. The areas you go to. And, you know, I had to get used to it. I didn't, at some moments I was like, oh my gosh, can you guys back up? But, you know, I never said it. You know, I was just thinking it. I, I wouldn't dare say it. Um, so, and then uh, it, it'd be crowded in like um, 
like uh, the the cars you would take, because you know over there cars are just more so for like expense for like the rich or people that drive taxis and stuff like that. So I would uh, take the what they call over there is a musalad, and um, it can be like a, a van or um, a bus or something like that. Or um, there's the three wheel um, vehicle, which is a, a you can have two passengers in the back and the driver in the front. So just over there, they'll just um, they'll get that vehicle as crowded as much as possible to get as many uh, passengers in there so they can take them to their destination. It's not like a tarp over here where you just like pay and you sit over there. You know, you sit and you pay as the ride is going in. What what really caught me and made me laugh was that how um, the driver and uh, there was another guy who regulated seating and paying. He would just uh, snap his fingers and then everybody would know that's a cue to pay. Like, oh, okay, it's time for me to pay. Um, So I don't have to worry about it later. So that was really interesting. Um, and the uh, dressing for the men. The men, they dressed as, um, you know, the traditional Islamic uh, attire, I guess you could say, that they, they would have a, a hat on, um, kind of like a circle hat. And then uh, they would have, um, their, it would be like a long clothing and it wouldn't be pants. It'd be kind of like a gown, if that makes sense. Um, so that, that was really cool. And the more I talked to them, the more I learned. And of course there was a language barrier. You know, I don't really, I don't speak Arabic. I just speak, uh, English and a little bit of my tribal tongue. So the, the, the three main groups of, uh, Northern Sudan would uh, have to be like the Nubians, um, who live at, in the Nuba mountains. Um, then you have the people of Darfur. Uh, then you have like uh, the lighter, lighter hued Sudanese, which are more like uh, Arabian looking. And that comes from the mixing of like uh, the Egyptians and the, um, the Turks, um, which, uh, which ties back to Sudanese history. Because at first, you know, of course, they were the kingdom of Kush. And then um, they uh, were first conquered by Egypt. And then uh, after that, they were conquered by the Turks. And I think around that, it, it was in between those two time periods is when like Islam came to um, Sudan and they started, you know, adopting that Arabian like culture um, into their country. Uh, so the, uh, the living areas over there, it's not like a, it's not like necessarily like the houses we have here. It's kind of like cement like buildings. Whereas like um, here in the US, we use a lot of like um, plywood and um, bricks. We only often use cement for like uh, how we're gonna place and organize the bricks for the houses, um, of course. Even though I'm not really a construction man, I'm just saying what I think. Uh, But anyways, in Africa, a lot of people really don't know, but since it's of course a developing uh, continent, they, there's so much business that's going on. Like uh, when I was over there, I was really shocked to see like um, Filipino people and I seen Indonesians. I seen um, I seen a couple of people from uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, the uh, United Emirates. And I asked my sister as we were walking around the city, uh, walking around downtown there, I said, hey, uh, 
Adio, because that's her name. I said, hey, Adio, what are these people doing here? I, I didn't expect to, you know, find um, foreigners or, uh, you know, people that didn't really look African to be here. She said um, some of them are like uh, Syrian refugees. And she said uh, and the other ones are just here to um, do business and stuff. And I said, what kind of business is there to be done? She said, um, Sudan specifically is uh, developing a lot into with banking and also their oil supply. And being that their oil supply is low, they're feeling that, um, you know, networking with other countries is their best likelihood to better their economy. And that was just very interesting to me. And I'm seeing like, as I was just uh, driving all over the place in Khartoum, I kept seeing a lot of construction going on, new buildings being made. And I've seen different banks, like uh, Sudan has the French Sudan Bank. You got the Saudi Sudan Bank. So they have banks with um, different countries and all. And um, they also have so much up, um, upcoming construction. And I think a lot of foreigners are kind of like investing in land property and uh, starting uh, whatever businesses they are out there. Um, which kind of got my interest too. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, maybe I can capitalize, you know, when I have enough funds, of course, you know, <laughs> buying property is, is, is not easy, especially in a, in a different country. Um, so the food, the food, the food, um, the food was nice. The food was nice in Sudan. Um, uh, being that I stayed with, uh, the Junubian, Janubian is what they call uh, Southern Sudanese people uh, over there, which means Southerner. Uh, I already know my tribe's food and what uh, my mom makes. I'm already used to it. But whereas like uh, North Sudanese people, they eat like it, they have like um, a lot of Arabian type meals, a lot of um, Mediterranean type of meals. Like I ate uh, lots of falafel. Um, what else? They have Anjera there, which is also very common in Ethiopia too. So yeah, I ate that. One thing I really like though about, um, Africa in general is like, I feel as if when I eat the food there, like I can taste, I can taste it in its most natural, truest form. Like it's not, it's not like unnatural sweeteners or anything like that. It's just, it's just pure and I really like that, especially when um, when I had uh, gotten a smoothie, I could I could really taste it. Um, so, also like the meat over there, I was so scared to eat meat because I didn't want to get like I was like thinking, oh my god, I don't want to get food poisoning, I don't want to get sick or whatever the case may be. But um, eventually, I ate some meat. The first thing I ate was some chicken, and it was all right. It was white meat, and. Um, so when they came to uh, celebrate um, celebrate my coming, my family decided to uh, get a lamb. Uh, the lamb was lamb was live, and you know they sacrificed a lamb for me. And I was like, man, this is so cool. Like I never had a, a lamb sacrifice for me. I was like, wow, this is crazy. And I actually watched them. Um, I got to see it all. I, I I seen them like you know slit the lamb's throat. Um, I seen them uh, skin it and. Uh, uh, 
keep the parts where we're going to eat it and the ladies cooked it and and all and the gnarliest part though was like um i'd have to say because like the 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 elders they actually ate the head of the lamb yeah they cooked the head and they ate it i was like wow that's crazy but you know it's whatever i mean i've seen a lamb's head cooked before i, I never ate it though but um once they cooked it like I ate it, you know, and I was very ap appreciative and it was very much delicious. It was like a burst of flavor. And yeah, man, I, I never seen that. I never seen like an animal alive before I, I ate it, you know. So I guess I'm a true carnivore in a sense or whatever. So, yeah, I will say, though, um, the driving out there. Man, the driving needs work. <laughs> the driving is it's it's pretty bad. But it's like it's bad, but I I never seen an accident, shockingly. It's just the roads are crowded, of course. Um they still need to uh, organize their traffic. You know, they're they're still developing. And um so yeah, like people walk on the street all the time like it's nothing. Cars moving, people just constantly beeping at each other. And just like like life goes on, but like no one, no one's too worried about. Oh, I might get hit by a car or whatever. They don't really feel frustrated or frightened at all. And I'm like, man, this is this is crazy. It's like people are jaywalking, like it's nothing. And I was like, man, if you do, if you drove like this in America, or if you were a pedestrian just walking around the street like it was nothing, like you'd get arrested. And yeah, so that they laughed when I told them that I would I, I would say that to a couple taxi drivers or whatever when uh, me and my sister were going around the city and they, they'd laugh. They're like, yeah, man, but, you know, this is Africa, you know, but soon, you know, they'll start learning to drive right and all. And, yeah, it was just it, it was a uh, it was a great laugh, honestly. Um, so one of my my one of my favorite parts um, during my time in Khartoum, Sudan, was just seeing how the uh, bread was made. So being in America where over here, our breakfast, you know, we'll have like a, our regular quote unquote American breakfast. You know, we'll, you might get a bowl of cereal, you might get some pancakes or waffles and, you know, bacon and eggs and orange juice and all. So over there, they, um, they drink tea and eat bread every morning. It's just, it's normal for them. They just drink tea and eat bread every morning. They might just, you know, have cookies sometimes. So that's their breakfast. You know, they don't like too much, just a little bit. And then um, they'll save everything um, on for dinner. So, yeah, they have like, I guess, a fasting intermediate period. Intermediate fasting in a sense. I thought that was so cool. And it got my fasting better too, honestly. Um, so, yeah, I went to the bread place. Um and I got to go inside the bag. I got an exclusive VIP look. And uh, I seen how they make the bread, um, how they um, get the dough flattened out. Uh, it was two guys flattening out the dough and they put it in a large tray or whatever. And then uh, some guy uh, carries that tray. It's like, it's probably like 40 pieces of dough in there, you know, flattened out. And they lay it down. A guy grabs like this big long stick or whatever thing. 
and uh, he puts it in the in an oven, and their oven is like it's a natural oven, you know, it it has fire underneath it, and um, it has stone surrounding it and all to uh, just keep that heat flow going. So he puts it in there, and then he leaves it in there for about like five or um, ten minutes or so, and uh, wait till they really fluffing up and they're really well cooked and crisp and nice. And he tries to stack up as much as he can on this um, stick thing or whatever. And he'll put, which I'm assuming, I think it was like six or seven, and he'll put um, rows of them in there. So like, I don't know, maybe nine rows of six or seven um, pieces of dough in there. And once they're ready, um, another guy comes and takes them out. And then they're put in a new tray. And as that guy is taking out um, the cooked bread, um, another guy is just organizing them, making sure they're organized and stuff. Once they're organized um, and ready to go, they put them in bags. Um, and the people who are um, out there waiting to purchase their uh, bread for breakfast, um, they'll say how much they need or how much their family needs. And they'll pay, I guess, 100 or maybe 200 pounds over there. Uh, which I which I had a I had a really hard time getting used to the money system over there because it was just like 500 pounds. I remember we went to grab pizza one time. Shockingly, there was a pizza hut in Africa. I was like, wow, there's a pizza hut here. I did not expect to find a pizza hut here. But um, we went over there and me and my sister got some pizzas. And then uh, once uh, the lady rang us up, the cashier, she was like, that'll be one thousand three hundred and twenty six. And I was like, what? And then she said pounds. I was like, okay, cool. Because in America, no one's about to pay that much for a pizza, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, so, yeah, but I got used to their money and all. And uh, so as as back to the bread, as they purchase the bread, you know, being that, I, as I said before, it's, it's an Islamic state. You know, the women will purchase on the right side. The men will purchase on the left. And it's just, they like to keep that separation, you know, just for respect, you know, and it was, it was pretty amazing. Like, I never expected, I was like, you guys just can't be one line. He's like, no, you know, it's like, it's, it's like a respect thing, you know, for Allah and all. And I was like, that's cool. Um, so yeah, man, like the more I was there, like, I, I just felt like I was really getting a spirit, a spiritual connection, like to my people, to the land, to uh, where I was where I was birthed and I just, I'm really grateful and honored. Like it was, it was truly a hum, humbling experience and just the amount of, um, the amount of uh, joy that, you know, that I saw in people's faces from just my presence being there or, uh, you know, me meeting them for the first time since I left was, uh, it was very, it was, it, it was just um, astonishing, honestly, and yeah, I just I just got to know a lot more people and just just uh, meet a lot new a lot of, a lot of new faces. So um, being that with the people, uh, most people didn't. It, it wasn't like a lot of English being spoken, so there was a language barrier issue. However, I will say, shockingly enough, like the South Sudanese people I met over there were the ones that could speak English more often than like the um, Northern Sudanese. 
So and not to say there weren't any Norton Sudanese that couldn't speak English. Of course there were. Um, so yeah, I, I ran into a few and you know, I was I was shocked like to to actually be able to communicate with a couple of them. And one guy in particular, I remember his name is Peter, and he was he was born in um Malakal, South Sudan. And but his English was pretty good. It wasn't like broken English at all. I was like, dude how do you like you know you, you speak you speak pretty well you know what i'm saying like you know you're, you're shocking me a bit and um he he was just a, a really cool dude he explained to me life there and i was like yo is it is it hard here like would you say in your personal opinion because he's been living in khartoum for a very long time i get i'm i'm assuming about 20 plus years or so and he said yeah you know um life is simple here we take it day by day as you can see it's not like um, like dreadful or anything or or bearing like it, it's just a simple life, you know. That they, they don't know everything, but they know what they need to do, you know, to take care of their families and all. And what I felt over there is like over here, your problems aren't really as big as what you think they are, because like uh, over here you might be worried about maybe a bill or two, you know, your Wi-Fi connection, you know. Whereas some other people, you know, they're thinking like, yo, how, how can I feed my kids today? You know, what do I have to go out there and do? How can I sell these products to people and, and get their attention or whatever? So, yeah, I seen the hustle, man. I see the passion in their eyes and and how much they want to do well for their family and themselves. And that was beautiful to me, man. I was I was truly grateful. So, um. Being in Sobahila, I went to Africa, of course, to see my family. And my mom's family is, it's pretty, they're, I never see my mom's full family, but seeing them was, was really, really amazing. And they're, and her family's pretty big. So I got to meet several uncles, several aunts. I got to meet cousins, first cousins I've never seen actually eye to eye in person before I've spoke to on the phone or seen pictures, but just seeing them in person was nice. And thank God I could still speak a little bit of my tribal tongue, you know, or I wouldn't have been able to speak to them. So yeah, and one thing I really found to be pretty crazy was like, how like, with uh, most most people here, like in the States, you know, you'll document your family history and all. Like you'll document who your great grandfather was and what his occupation was and um, what he enjoyed doing and how he died or whatever. It'll be documented, it'll be written down. Over there, like it's crazy because they just remember it in their head. Like they can go down their family lineage just through, just through their head. Like it's almost ingrained in their DNA too to know everyone in their family, all the way up to, I don't know, great, 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 great grandmother or so. Like, I met people that knew my mom's dad's dad, and I'm like, I don't even know who that is. How do you know that? And <laughs> he was like, yeah, they just teach us when we're young and we just never forget it. And another thing too, with um, people in, uh, in Africa, like, there, I didn't meet a single person that spoke only one language. You know, everyone at most that I met 
at least for my personal opinion that I met, speaks at least two or three languages, at least two or three. So I found out to be really cool. I was like, whoa, man, that's like super amazing. Like here in the States, they'll they'll pay you a, a pretty decent amount of money if you can speak more than one language, depending on what um, job field you go into. So, so like, yeah, that was, that was pretty interesting. You know, like, whoa, like you guys can speak so many languages. And like my mom personally, she can speak, I think about eight or so. I know that she speaks uh, English, she speaks Dutch, she speaks Dinka, she speaks Noir, she speaks Arabic, and uh, she speaks other things too. And then my other sister, Adil, she speaks um, those same tribal languages and English and um, a little bit of Swahili. So yeah, it's just, and I'm like, how did you guys pick up these languages like that? You know, we we go to school and some of us still can't learn all these languages. And they're like, when they were young, they had friends of different backgrounds and their friends would just teach them as they were growing up. So yeah, it was pretty cool. I was like, man, I, I wish my friends did that. <laughs> yeah. so. As I, 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 I don't think I said it before, but I'm just gonna say it. There are, the, there are pros and cons that comes with Africa, of course. You know, it's not the most developed and whatever. So like one thing was like, I had to get used to the toilet situation sometimes. Um, and it's it might not just be all of Africa, it might just be where I went to. So like, you know, they they don't always have a toilet and when i went to turkey to istanbul turkey there um uh, they didn't always have a toilet and istanbul is a well-developed place too so like sometimes they have like um i guess like a traditional toilet and it's like on the ground like a hole in the ground i was like whoa this is it's pretty gnarly um so you you kind of got to get used to using that man or, or and there and there were definitely of course some toilets but yeah, um, and then what else? Like over, like this is the funny thing. Over here, we have like stray cats, right? When I was walking around in Sobahilla, I seen stray goats, like bad. Like, you know, you'll see a stray goat. I was like, man, this is crazy. It was, it was super hilarious. Like you'll just see a goat walking past you. I'm like, is there an owner for this goat? Like, nah, man, they just, they just walk around. I'm like, cool, all right. <laughs> So, yeah, and the pros is just, it's just a lot of wonderful people, a lot of upcoming business going on in Africa. And just like when I went over there, like I gave uh, my family as much as I possibly could. I gave money, I gave clothes and all. And uh, like my sister asked me when I came back here, from my last flight from Washington DC to Louisville, Kentucky. She said, you know, um, did you get anything? I said, no, I didn't. But then again, I did because I got the experience. I got to make connections with all these wonderful, beautiful people. And that's something like, you know, not everyone can get. And I'm very grateful for that. So yeah, man, this has been another episode of Real Talk with the Jock. Uh, I didn't have a guest for this one. You know, I, I know I usually have a guest, but this one was just a, a personal one and me just kind of giving you the rundown of my experience in, uh, in Africa. And hopefully, you know, I encourage, I encourage you guys, some of you all to, um, 
do some international traveling to um, go around, just just see the world. It's a big world out there. You know, it's a it's a big, beautiful, crazy, wonderful, sad world. Uh, just in just with every emotion, you just you just gotta experience it, man. You know, you only live once. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you very much.